Hi, everybody. Welcome to a new episode of the Womanhood and International Relations podcast. I'm your host, Natalia Bonilla, and today we're going to be talking about why feminism matters in international relations. For some of you that have been knowing my work in the Spanish language may be thinking, wow, Natalia, it took you a long time to address this topic in English and for the podcast. But well, you know, it takes some um, people some courage and some determination to, you know, break through barriers of fear addressing this topic in this language that many of you Um, it's also a second language for you and it's also the language where international relations is based or mostly created and you know after uh, Saturday last Saturday um, hearing about ecofeminisms we are you know, launching a series on ecofeminisms on the global south and the global north and what are the differences and how knowledge from the north has been um, colonizing the way that we here in the global south, badly named global south, um, create knowledge and um, interpret or give meaning to what we experience and how we seek validation in the English language or in English language spheres of influence, you know, in a very Eurocentric and Androcentric and Anglocentric, the three of them, <laughs> Anglo, Andro and Eurocentric kind of worlds. Um, it, it really, you know, it gave me the courage to record this episode. It gave me a courage because in the Spanish language, I kind of just flow. And I mean, it's my first language, but also I could be very critical about what's happening in the North with other people that speak the same language as me, you know, with similar or different variants because we're from different countries in Latin America and we have different slang and everything but you know the context of understanding of cultural understandings and the experiences with the way knowledge has been um, shared is similar while we are addressing feminism in, in IR and that's one of the reasons why I decided to do courses and classes on feminist foreign policy 101 and feminist theory 101 yeah, applied to IR is because many of the scholars that we study, many of the think tanks, if not all, that talk about feminism apply to IR or women in international relations or the women peace and security agenda you name it are based on the north and this saturday was very enlightening we had this um second um 
the second conversation, we had uh, Gabriela Franco from La Totuma in Colombia, which talks about intersectional ecofeminism. And we had also um, a very beautiful presentation by Annette Perez. She is the founder of Afronteradas, also in Colombia, which talks about racism, as well as intersectionality and post-colonialism and decolonization of knowledge. And one of the things that really struck to me is a quote that I would try to translate here, but I was saying in Spanish to honor it and then translate it in English. And it is a quote by Uriania Ungo, and she said, Estoy cada día más convencida de que citar es un hecho político. Las feministas latinoamericanas en nuestros escritos no nos citamos a nosotras, recurrimos a la autoridad exterior para justificar nuestro pensamiento, pero la autoridad es siempre política. Which translated, um, I would try to do my best translated, but it says, I am every day, each day convinced that quoting is a political act. Latin American feminists in our um, readings, in our writing, we do not cite each other, we do not quote each other, we always quote um, ex external authorities to justify our way of thinking, but authority is always a political issue. I'm closing the quote here, and um, that really struck a nerve on me, and it's one of the reasons why Spanish language with all the courses and, and classes that I've been um, teaching for more than three years now um, have been very critical about is one of the reasons that I'm doing it in Spanish is to motivate women here in Latin America, here in Mexico, in the Caribbean to think for themselves and do not rely always on the knowledge from the north to produce knowledge here on the south on these important issues that you know really affect us all and do not be scared about you know border limitations because you can be living here in Mexico or you can be living in Bolivia or Venezuela and still be researching about women in India or women in El Congo I mean why is it something that we project that only women in the north or in top universities or Ivy League universities are the ones that can have productive knowledge? Where do we base that? What is our basis on that? And I invite you to check that uh, presentation. It's completely full on uh, my YouTube channel, Gabriela and Annette's presentation on ecofeminisms. And it's about ecofeminisms in the global north and global south, but it talks about this colonization of knowledge, which also applies to feminist theory in IR. And um, one of the reasons why I decided and I found freedom in focusing on feminism in AIR is because it gave me questions. It wasn't giving me fixed knowledge like realism or liberalism theories. And therefore, I want to share here with you why it is important 
and what is it really that it studies? Maybe with the hope that you also, if you're hearing me in the north or in the south or whatever you are, also engage in a deeper conversation on the topics of study that you are focusing on, on your own relationship with gender and your own relationship with the world overall and in this system. Talking about feminism in international affairs is very revolutionary and everybody's applauding Sweden and France and Canada for and even Mexico for pursuing, I'm saying it in quotes, for pursuing feminist foreign policies, but not a, a lot of people understand that the aspect of feminism in those political um, instruments are very wishy-washy are not really feminist rather than gender perspective included. So this is very important to, to, to address and that's why I'm gonna share with you the main core conversations. Um, I invite you also to check my Facebook lives. I've been um, already, uh, I did a couple of Two weeks ago, two weeks ago, I did two videos, two very good videos on masculinities and international affairs and feminisms and international affairs. A whole conversation on, you know, how do we get from this masculinized system to this feminist review of the system. So those are already available on my Facebook page. I invite you to check that out. I plan to do some soon if you are interested. In, in the English language, um, let me know, share with me your thoughts via social media. I will be more than happy to see if this is something that you definitely want to know more about or hear, you know, or share your views or questions with me in this language. More than happy to, to figure out the best ways to do so in this language. But meanwhile, this podcast will be a good start. So I thought it would be good to talk about what is the difference between feminism and feminist theory applied to IR because this is a very key conversation that many people get confused about. So feminism as an idea it was created in the 19th century and it sought the equality between women and men, between men and women. Equality of rights, equality of um, social standards, social norms, as well as um, equality in terms of economic issues. We know that that's not <laughs> the case. And we also know that feminism had very different um, there are very different types of feminism. There's liberal feminism, which is mostly what top institutional organizations as well as the states that seek to uh, proclaim themselves feminists. They tend to, you know, advocate for liberal feminisms, which is trying mostly to focus on, you know, removing the legal barriers that are oppressing women. Meanwhile, there are other different types of feminism that also provide a whole 
um, holistic view of the subordination of women and the oppression of women is just not simply about the legal structures, but also about the economical structures, such as the, the social and Marxist feminism, which is a whole different theory talking about how the economic system, the capitalist system, is also a tool of the patriarchy to oppress women while giving them some sort of, you know, ownership of their work or their value, but subjected to a whole level of double burden, which is, you know, we are rewarding you on the public sphere because you are valuable to the market, but you can only grow as much because there are, you know, glass ceilings and, you know, uh, glass cliffs that we are going to put you there to remind you that you are not the same as a man or as a specific type of man, of course. And uh, um, it also has a other conversation. Um, Ro Rosa Luxemburg was also uh, top, um, one of the the key authors on this theory that talks about um, caring economics, you know, like how the domestic, the unpaid domestic work is a double work burden that women face. You also have post-colonial feminism and you have radical feminism, you also have community feminism and you have eco-feminisms as well as many other um, lines here in Latin America. We are seeing a surge of uh, decolonial feminism while in Africa and Asia we see this, the resurgence of post-colonial feminism as like a second wave. The first one was um, um, re registered by the 1980s and now um, we are seeing a resurgence in also like different types of feminism which includes Islamic feminism. Is it possible that the Islam uh, culture and the Islam religion have uh, feminist movements. That's a whole conversation that is um, taking place and also um, Sarawi feminism which by this Saturday we are gonna have, this Saturday August 15, we're gonna have a special live talk, special conversation that I invite you to tune in. It's free RSVP and I'm gonna share with you more information at the end of this episode, but that's gonna be amazing. We are gonna be talking about Sahrawi women, Sahrawi women's rights in refugee camps and the whole situation in Western Sahara. Um, you're gonna have two amazing guests and also the partnership with Taruf, which is a Mexican initiative that seeks to bridge the cultural understanding with the Middle Eastern uh, region and the stereotypes that we have on the Arabic and Muslim world. And that's gonna be this Saturday at 10 a.m. Uh, Mexico City time, 11 a.m. Eastern time. I'm gonna leave all the information below Sorry to be, you know, putting this um, ad here, but this is going to be amazing. That's going to be a special episode for this podcast and the first free virtual talk that we are going to have um, with women, you know, exploring with women from different countries what it's like to be a woman there and what are the stereotypes and the cultural misunderstandings that we are 
imposing on them on our own understandings of feminism so i am so looking forward to having that conversation with you i invite you to check that out the links are um, gonna be listed below this episode and that is a special episode produced also with my fellow colleague Maria del Consuelo Torija. She is um, an amazing woman. She's a specialist on gender and Middle Eastern affairs, and she's gonna be co moderating and co producing this special episode with me. So, hi, Shelo. <laughs> Just putting that out there because you're doing an amazing job. So, thank you so much. Um, yeah, so sorry to, to put that here, but it's so important because it's related to this. Um, and radical feminism, which you already know, is the stream, um, the stream way of thinking about um, the whole system, which thinks that the whole system should be rewritten, you know, because it's not um, at all um able to reform itself to include more women is not an unstare kind of formula to to solve this huge oppression it needs to be completely wiped out and that's a whole uh, conversation for maybe another episode if you're interested on in talking about radical feminism but in international affairs how does the feminist theory evolves so there are several ways that we can study feminism applied to IR. The first one is to understand how conflict and the behavior of states in the international system are constructed, are conceived by unequal gender relations. Yes, it is by bringing the perspective of gender, the lenses of gender to understand the nature of states, their behavior, and the way that they interact with each other. The second way that we can study feminism applied to IR is to understand how that inequality at the structural level affects the life of people, in particularly the lives of women. That famous quote by Cynthia Loe and many other um, feminists before her, where are the women? That specific question definitely plays a part here. And the third way that we can study feminism applied to IR is how and why that gender inequality has been constructed always to oppress women and to legitimize the supremacy of men. That's something that it studies. Why is it a fixed thing? Why is it something normalized since the construction of the citizenship in ancient Greece? You know, the way that Plato and Aristotle, you know, these famous world philosophers <laughs> and, you know, the fathers that could be said the fathers of political science, constructed and conceived the nature of a citizen as that of a soldier, of someone that uh, projected masculine hegemonic traits. 
and why is it that women were not considered citizens or by the, sec the 15th and 16th century when the state was created, the, the state as a structure was created and international system began to take form with the Westphalia Treaty and many other instruments that follow and the conception of the capital sy capitalist system, women were considered and in many countries still are considered second-rate citizens and that's a whole different conversation that we can have on a whole different episode on you know women second citizen women but you know when we apply the intersectionality lenses we see that not all the women are second-rate citizens they are third fourth or even not consider citizens at all in some contexts. And that's a whole different conversation that we can have a whole episode about. Um, but that's, those are the three keys that the feminist theory in IR um, studies. One of the ways that it does, it is by describing and explaining what are the sources, what are the origin of that gender inequality and the oppression that women are feeling all around the world. It also seeks to understand what are the strategies that are being put in place to overcome, to eradicate, to eliminate that inequality. And also it puts into question how these patriarchal way of thinking, you know, in a very polarized world where, you know, we, we are seeing uh, the world in a hierarchical and in a binary way, where masculine is the opposite of the feminine, but it's not, it, it can never be united. The, the, the strong is associated with the masculine, why the weakness is associated with the feminine, and why women fall into the feminine and the weakness, and why men, by default, are considered masculine and strong. Those are the things that this uh, feminist theory applied to IR, in essence, seeks to study. And it really gives me a very um, interesting um, thing to remember is, you know, that women and men have, everybody have um, feminine energies and masculine energies. And I'm going a very bit esoteric here, but I think it applies because now remembering those, um, that, that truth that we all have, um, this binarism or this way of um, separating the masculine from the feminine as if the two of them cannot um, apply or cannot live within a person or a citizen is definitely tearing societies apart and, you know, tearing people apart. And, um, yeah, it's very interesting um, to have a conversation about it. Let me know your thoughts via DM on social media. And now that we have touched upon the keys of understanding feminist theory applied to IR, one of the biggest questions that I always get <laughs> whenever we're talking about this in our courses is why does it matter? Why is it important to study feminism in international affairs? A simple question 
a simple answer to that question would be international relations are not gender neutral. They are blind to gender. And that is troublesome. It is troublesome. And I'm going to share with you seven powerful reasons to understand why it is troublesome. The first one has to do with voice and representation. It is important to talk about feminist theory applied to IR because women represent two-thirds of the world's most poorest population and their voices and experiences are not legitimized, not even recognized by the top international relations theories. We're talking about realism and liberalism and neorealism and neoliberalism and which other ways of thinking the world in a masculine, hegemonic way. A second reason is violence. What is the violence that is legitimized and that is perpetuated time over time? Violence between states and violence against women are correlated. They are founded and legitimized on this binary, binary way of um, engaging in relationships. It seeks to continue hegemonic masculinity. It represses and denies all other expressions of masculinity and suppresses and oppresses the feminine and whatever is associated with the feminine. In that term, we can see the third and fourth reason correlated to the second one. The third one is that states uh, such as um, terms such as citizen states, war, power, anarchy, capitalism were conceived since ancient Greece until recent times. You know, all these philosophers that we have talked about, including Aristotle, Hobbes, Locke, Adam Smith, and many others, they have uh, projected this image of privilege, of masculine privilege, at the expense of the oppression and subordination of women and whatever is considered feminine and the private sphere as well. also has provided grounds to legitimize violence and dehumanize people in international conflicts, interpersonal conflicts, and intrafamiliar conflicts. The same goes with the other side of the coin, which is terms such as peace, mediation, conflict resolution, and um, conflict prevention. They are ignored in the real politique. Real politique is the term that is most often used to describe the way that states relate to one another and state foreign policy is being created and the way that international and sorry national interests of the states are created. This is a tool of the realism theory, which continues to be, up until this day, the dominant theory of international relations. All those media analysts that you love to read about, 
most of them, I'm not saying all, I don't want to generalize, but most of them, at least in the United States, as well as in some European countries, always see the world through the realist lenses. And that is troublesome. Why? Because realpolitik associates peace with an issue that is not related to realpolitik. And since peace and women are often associated because, you know, peace is seen as feminine, war is seen as masculine, women are seen as feminine and peaceful, and men are seen as warriors and masculines, then they cancel each other out whenever we're talking about international relations. And we also have seen it why women are being excluded in peace negotiations time and time again, even if they're stereotypically seen as peaceful and as feminine, because these are um, the, the decision-making tables are still, uh, on these issues, are still male-dominated. And we can trace it back to Machiavelli's and Klaus Vicks and Bismarck, among other philosophers that talk about this issue. There's also a very important um, essay that I recommend you to check, which are like all the works of Carmen Magallon in Spain. She talks about this whole association of women and peace, uh, specifically regarding the conflict in Colombia, um, the peace uh, agreements and the peace uh, negotiations in Colombia, the recent ones with the FARC. And it definitely is groundbreaking to see how they cancel each other out. And if women are peaceful, why is it that we represent only 2%, 5%, and 8% of all negotiators and mediators and conflict resolution um, signatories, um, people that sign these agreements? <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I forgot the name right now. Um, so yeah, it's very important to look at this. And these are not like... Um, 20 years ago data this is you know recent data of 2017 by UN women so it is very troublesome because in 2000 we had the first resolution the 1325 UN Security Council resolution to include more women in peace negotiations and 20 years after we are still with these low numbers of participation and caring about and that's one of the main reasons because peace is not considered a topic of discussion in real politique. The fifth reason to study feminist theory applied to IR for me it is the nature of recent and contemporary conflicts. Um, we have been um, recording on my Facebook page, you will find a whole webinar on the concept of um, old wars versus new wars. And that was incredibly enlightening to see the nature of conflicts being changing from the traditional between, you know, conflict between states, war against uh, armies, but going, you know, uh, transcending and including new actors on the wars. And 
we can see it with the fall of the USSR, with Yugoslavia disintegration, with the Balkans war and the genocide in Rwanda, as many other conflicts um, that were, um, who, which had on its origin of the conflict, identity politics, nationality, and ethnicity on its place, rather than it being something about national interest, it was something about, you know, people's way of reacting to each other and, you know, um, blossoming, for the lack of a better word, blossoming bad wounds and systemic wounds that were not being tended on time. And that is something that really put on the spotlight the cracks of the realist and the liberalist uh, theories, which were not able to explain why actors that were not considered state actors, you know, armies, authorities, state, but rather people, factions, rebels, groups, um, identity groups, you know, different people as well as other organizations that were playing their part and still are <laughs> in the concept of new wars <laughs> are, you know, using terrains as uh, terrains and lands as, you know, uh, battlegrounds for economic interests, social interests, religious interests, political interests, and, you know, the state cannot solve those issues. And specifically, the constructivist theory, the post-colonial theory, the feminist theory applied to IR were able in the 1990s, 1980s to provide some answers um, to why these conflicts were happening. And uh, that's why it's important to talk about. Um, in my personal case as a scholar on feminist theory, I've worked on the Bosnian War and the Colombia peace agreement and definitely gender plays a part in the way that, you know, conflict has been ethnic conflict and, and rebel conflict and other um, intrastate war. Um, scenarios are passing over the bodies of women. Women are, women's bodies are the, the terrain, the, the, the battlefield of these actors. And it really, you know, it creeps me out. My, my <laughs> I have my, my hair is going, I'm getting goosebumps whenever I talk about this because I, um, in 2019, I did a whole class on sexual violence in, in conflict, specifically in Syria. And we talk about sexual violence, you know, the different resolutions and the way that the male psyche uh, works at conflicts. And whenever we are seeing women, this is not, you know, a, a, this is not a trend of the latest times. This has been an ongoing trend for centuries and centuries of taking women as booties, you know, as um, booties, is it, um, you know, like the prices of war, you know, it's, it's very, <sighs> I, I don't want to talk about this because we also have the human trafficking um, rising toll of victims um, due to this COVID-19 and Lately, everybody's like, oh, we need to pay attention to human trafficking. Well, 
you know, this has been the the 21st and 20th century slavery method and not enough attention has been paid upon it and just paying attention just one week onto it, it really is not going to make much of a difference. It really needs to have constant attention on the way that we relate to one another. And I think that's why feminist theory is very important because on the sixth and seventh point to end this episode, the experiences of women, not only related to human trafficking, but also related to human trafficking, and gender violence or violence against women all around the world, turn down this argument that the state is the best mechanism, the best guarantor for the security and life of people. It is not. We are seeing it in Central America and I've been doing research about it. We've been interviewing um, women as well as refugee uh, asylum seekers and refugee centers on the latest uh, policies in Central America and Guatemala, El Salvador and Honduras, which are considered the Northern Triangle. And the Northern Triangle the more that the states receive money to buy guns and buy military equipment and, you know, try to uh, cut down, you know, in, in the aim of cutting down um, drug trafficking and human trafficking cartels and the Maras and other gang-related um, groups, the more women suffer. It is not the other way around. This is a facade. If the state has more power, more military and firepower, the more insecurity it creates on the population. And we have been seeing it in Central America, we are seeing it here in Mexico, we are seeing it in other countries as well, which is a whole different conversation that we can have on international security being a masculinized way of addressing safety. Security for who? That's a good question. Lastly, feminist theory, and I think this is a very key point here. We talk about at the beginning of this uh, seven route. We talk about international relations being gender blind, not gender neutral. The seventh reason why it is important to study feminism applied to IR is because most IR academics, scholars, people that work in this realm, diplomats, um, uh, officials, state officials, and more, they do not take feminism seriously because if they did, they will have to get into a whole evaluation on their own relationship to gender or with gender. How their identities, their, what is their gender identity? How has it been formed? What does it say about the way that they perceive the world and that the way that they study the world and the way that they choose what is a topic of serious or of, of serious conversation, of serious reflection, and which others they disregard because they are not important. 
that's why there's a lot of resistance to see this theory apply to IR because it really asks us to look within our own relationship with ourselves the way that we've been taught since we were children who we were what is it that we uh, were giving to the world the way that we related to one another and the way that we related to the state and the way that we um, transform the knowledge that we acquire um, via cultural adoctrination or the education system or the university top Ivy League or wherever that you go to or you know all these mainstream media we sometimes venerate as like oh my god it was published in CNN it must be worth it or oh my god it was published in Vogue or New York Times like you know it really makes you look closely at the way that we perceive the world and the way that we provide value to some things and disregard others and for many people in IR mostly male those are very hard conversations to engage with For all the women here in Mexico that have been following everything that we've been doing in our community, it has been very tough. <laughs> we did a whole series on um, statesmen and patriarchy. It's available in YouTube, on my YouTube channel. About nine hours of analysis, of international analysis of how we can deconstruct the patriarchal system and statesmen and our relationship to authority. We as women and as, as scholars and as researchers and journalists, how can we deconstruct the patriarchy? And we, I, I, I think the majority of us were blown away because this is a very huge task. It's not easy to take. It really blows your mind very complex and is so deeply ingrained in our DNA and we don't know if we are gonna be alive to see the end of the patriarchy we don't know if this system can reform itself if states can be feminist if the international system can be feminist which is one of the top questions that I often get why are we so, I won't say obsessed, but so paying attention for the state to become feminist, to celebrate that as if it is the only one goal, the only one solution to every one of our problems? What if the solution to eliminate gender violence, it doesn't come from the state, it comes from other Sources maybe comes from the way that we relate to one another, the way that we come to social agreements and social pacts without the state intervening. Why are we seeing the state as the one solver, the one that decides what we do and what we do not? Are we, in that sense,
reproducing that narrative or that paternalistic imaginary of the state as this father figure that needs to protect its, its people and engages in wars to feminize its population in order to continue this imaginary For the past Facebook Live that we did a couple of weeks ago, I invite you to check my Facebook page. Uh, we talk about masculinities in international relations and there was this worrisome trend that masculine states can reform the notion of masculinity. They can create a new, softer, tender, vulnerable masculinity in order to survive. And in the feminist, um, the, the same goes with the feminist uh, movement. They can auto-proclaim, states can proclaim their politics, their statesmen, their states or figures or officials, etc. They can proclaim that they are feminists to go with the trend and they can certainly do something that resembles feminism to pursue an agenda that goes with the people but remains safe for the state to not inherently transform itself but rather just on the discursive level. That's very, very interesting and worrisome um, because we're seeing it over and over again with feminist foreign policies, the way that states announce it, like, you know, this is a progressive gesture and this is something that takes taking us to the future. And yeah, but what is your definition of feminism? They don't have one definition of feminism. They don't dare to define feminism. It's the same with terrorism. Not saying feminism is the same of terrorism. I'm saying the same goes with the terrorist term. They were like it has been more than 20 years, I think, that terrorism scholars have, you know created enough evidence, enough articles, enough research to have a whole definition of terrorism. But states do not define terrorism. There's not a universal definition of terrorism because states can create terrorism. And it's not convenient for them to define universally what is terrorism or not because is not an advantage to their politics. Why is feminism not advantage? If they are so into it. Tomorrow we will discuss this further in our online class on can a state be feminist? That's a question. And we already have reached the limit of the limit capacity and I'm so grateful for that. I was gonna be a free virtual class, a whole new virtual class on these topics. So 
Um, probably I will record an episode after that, but I'm closing this episode asking you to share your thoughts. Share your thoughts about this topic. Share if you're doing any investigation, if you have an initiative on these um, topics that we have been addressing here on Womanhood and International Relations Podcast. I would love to know you and figure out ways and explore ways that we can interview you for the upcoming episodes. Lastly, I was telling you about this beautiful event that we're hosting this Saturday, August 15th at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Mexico City Time, 4 p.m. Western Sahara Time. We're going to have two very special guests, Alia Maliamine and Mena Sulein. Both of them are co-founders of Towards a Feminist Consciousness blog. They talk about raising consciousness and colonization and women's issues in Western Sahara and MENA region. And they have a very interesting take on Sahrawi feminism. So I invite you to book your tickets, free tickets. I will list the links below. This is going to be a co-production and co-moderation with Maria del Consuelo Torija, which is a very dear fellow colleague um, which specializes on gender and international relations in the MENA region as well as Africa, so I'm very excited for that. And we are going to have a special participation by Mexican initiative TAWUF, which focuses on bridging cultural understandings with um, the MENA region, and I invite you to join us, join us, free talk. We are going to be um, seeing if this could be the, the first of many others, hopefully, live virtual talks of this podcast. We may not be able to travel via airplanes right now due to this pandemic, but we can still um, use the wonders of Zoom and many other platforms to continue bridging um, communications and learning about each other and hearing one another and um, I put my podcast and my YouTube channel for that task because we we need to hear women we need to hear women's voices and women's experiences and also make difficult questions and also engage in difficult questions so Thank you for listening to this episode. I send you a big hug, whatever you are. And if you're interested in learning more, I'm listing on this episode a blog post that I've written quite some time ago on 10 recommended books on feminism and IR for you to continue your own exploration. And look forward to your thoughts, your questions, and talk to you soon.